So when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Awesome. Thanks, Alvin. So Alvin is uh, one of our GC leaders. So at Radiant Church, we believe that we're a family of missionary servants sent to be and make disciples to make disciples. And so we look at Sundays as the engine of our worship, and then our small groups, which we call our gospel communities, are the wheels of our worship. We, we, not, we see church as being a 24-7 uh, ordeal, not ordeal, that's not the right way to put it. <laughs> um, sorry, the, the church is happening 24-7 because we're followers and believers of, of Jesus, and so our worship is constantly happening. So that's why we look at our Sundays as a moment for us to gather together to worship him. We view our small groups, our gospel communities as an opportunity to learn how to live that out. So if you're not plugged into one, uh, please download our church app. We've got it um, out at the welcome table, a QR code. And I know this is this time and age, there's a million apps. We just use one because it's easy to do communication through that. So if you haven't got that, please get it. Because I'm also just gonna give a couple brief announcements, but if you want details, Go to the app, it's gonna be on there. Um, so first of all, um, we are doing our second meeting for the gender identity cohort this Friday at 7 p.m. If you're wondering what that means by the name, we're simply taking uh, the, the cultural issue of LGBTQ+, what that looks like, and then going to the Bible to see, okay, what does God's word have to say about that, of these issues in our culture, and how do we respond as followers of Jesus, and how do we let God's word be the thing that's leading us in that response? So that's happening this Friday, 7 p.m. It's going to be here. Men's breakfast, November 4th at 8 a.m. And then today, after the gathering, we're doing our soup or something uh, meal together afterwards. So if you forgot something, there's a gas station just down the road. Or you can feel free to hang out and join us. Um, Last thing I just wanted to encourage is uh, I mentioned last Sunday that uh, we're still looking for another space. We've been at 4 p.m. for a while, and our heart was that we wouldn't necessarily be here still at 4 p.m. And one of the sweetest things uh, that I've just seen God in his working has been like, you know what? God can work at 4 p.m. And when at the right time when he opens up an opportunity for us to move somewhere, find a building of our own or something else, we will follow him when he opens up that time. But we want to maximize our time here at 4 p.m. And so we were encouraging people, like, consider, how can we use this? How is God asking you to maximize 4 p.m. to make him known in Fairbanks, Alaska? One thing is, is maybe think of the afternoon time, that 12 to 3 of inviting people to lunch, catching an NFL game, going out skiing, doing those things, inviting people, and then afterwards come to church. To begin looking at 4 p.m. is almost this time when it's like, we're going to end our week 
worshiping Jesus with the family of God as we go into work week the next day. One of the things I'm grateful for for 4 p.m. is I was able to go and have this moment uh, at my grandma's memorial service in Nebraska, and I was able to do that because we meet at 4 p.m., and so I was able to get back in time to be able to come here and deliver the word. So that's just a praise. God, God works at 4 p.m. So with that, let's pray and dive into God's word together. Father in heaven, we believe that you work through your word. We believe that it's the truth, that it has, that you are the truth, Jesus, and that in a world where um, it's hard to know what is true these days, we know that we can look to you. And so God, as, as we're worshiping together as a family in your word, I just pray, remove any barriers that's in our hearts. Help us to hear your spirit at work, to hear your truths, and not just hear, but then follow up and do what you call us to. We thank you, Jesus, for this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. For an introduction, I just want to share a story about a boxer named George Foreman. There was a Hollywood movie that was put out at the beginning of this year that goes over his life story, and I was struck even within that film how it highlighted how God was working in his heart. But you wouldn't have expected that if you would have known George Foreman at an early age. He was big, and he was angry, and he used that anger to fuel so much of his life, and even though his mom had faith in God, he didn't want to have anything to do with him. In fact, he even had trouble with prayers over dinner, and later on in life, he was just like, I'm the one providing the food. I'm the one who's putting food on the table, not God, and this is the thing is, watching his early life, he wanted freedom because he grew up poor dirt poor. They could barely afford to keep the electricity on. So he, he wanted financial freedom. But, but he also wanted freedom from people's disrespect. The thing that would just set him off, that got him into fights, is when someone disrespected him or one of his family members, and he'd just go to town and fight them. But he also wanted freedom from losing. He wanted to win. And, and, and he set out to prove that. But even though he was able to achieve some of those freedoms. He became wealthy. He became a winner. Uh, he went against those people who were looking down on him, and he proved himself. He became an overnight sensation in the boxing world. Um, he went to the U.S. Olympic team, won gold, later defeating, at that time, the undefeated heavyweight champion. He was wealthy. He had wife and kids. He could buy multiple cars. He could own a large home. And he had all the women he wanted besides his wife. Is, is that freedom? What is freedom? I mean, I've run into those issues myself. If I'm not careful, I catch myself thinking, man, it would be nice if I could just go out and spend however much money I wanted to and not have to worry about my bank account. If I'm, if I'm not careful, I can dream about what it would be like to be free and not have to worry about what other people are thinking about me or the expectations that people might have. And there's so many different ways that we can think of freedom. And, and, and as I thought about this more, especially being an American, where it's kind of in our tagline, like land of the free, home of the brave, I started realizing, man, when you try to define freedom... All of a sudden, you start going in all sorts of directions. Well, you, I mean, what, what does 
freedom mean? Is it when we look at the, the early writings of our nation that we have the right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Is, is it something that's freedom emotionally? Like freedom can be used in so many different contexts. And I think sometimes we think it's autonomy. And what I mean by autonomy is I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whoever I want. But that doesn't work either, does it? Because when you get everyone who's operating autonomously, all of a sudden you start clashing. Your interests don't align. So that, that doesn't really work either. And the only true autonomous, free person is God. Like, he's the only one who's autonomous. And then, and then there are people who seem to achieve so many freedoms, like a George Foreman, who, who achieves the American dream. He had it all. And yet... He was the most imprisoned person. And the reason why is because while he was achieving all those successes, he did so from his anger. And that anger would end up being his downfall. He was a slave to his anger. As we encounter Jesus today at the end of Matthew 17, we see him open our eyes to those who are actually free, those who can be truly free, and what freedom means for us as human. And when it comes to freedom in Jesus, he offers freedom for our souls, the only freedom that really matters, the only freedom that can't be taken away. And, and as we look at this today, when we look at the freedom of our souls, there's two takeaways. The sons are free, so as sons, daughters of God, we claim the freedom Jesus offers, and we use that freedom for Jesus' purposes. We claim the freedom Jesus offers, and we use, the freedom for, we use that freedom for Jesus' purposes. So let's go back to Matthew 17. We're going to start in verse 24. We're just going to read the first two verses, 24 and 25. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? What do you think, Simon? So the story we're about to go into is a really weird story when you think about it. Like if you just read this story on its own, especially with a fish and finding a coin within it, out of all the miracles that God does, this seems kind of odd. So when I've read stories like this in the Gospels before, sometimes you'll kind of read over it and it'd be like, I think I know what that means, but I'm just going to keep going on to the next story and we're going to go from there. As I dove into it, I started realizing this is, this is so powerful for as small of a story this is because it's not anywhere in the other Gospels. You can't look at a version of it in Luke or in Mark or in John. This, it's only in Matthew. And so let's just get a little context here. The disciples in Jesus have arrived back at their base of operations, which is in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. This is an area where Jesus does most of his public ministry. It's also where most likely Peter grew up and his family and his household are in this area of Capernaum. So Peter is probably well known in this area. And so also known by the collectors who come for, in, for the annual tax. If they didn't know him personally, they probably knew his family. But this isn't a tax like you would think 
uh, for Fairbanks or even at that time like the Roman government. It's not a civil tax. It is a religious tax. It's coming from the temple. And so the, the collectors ask a fairly general question. Is your teacher going to pay the temple tax? And I don't know if they were past due. I don't know if they were just checking in like, hey, by the way, is you, your rabbi, and, and the group that's following there, like it's, it's time to pay up. Is he going to pay his tax? And Peter gives a pretty basic response. Yes. Yes, he is. But then I can't imagine being in Peter's shoes when Jesus, as he comes into maybe even his own house, says, what do you think, Simon? What do you think? This should cause us to pause and ask, why would Jesus make a special note to talk to Peter about this conversation? It's basic. It's regular. I mean, if you, if you think about this, this is, this is a tax that, that we can read about all the way back in Exodus. And for Peter, this is something he was probably paying yearly. So something that he's used to. He's not thinking anything about this. But there's a key for this. And the difference between Jesus and Peter is Jesus is free and Peter is imprisoned. So before we talk about the freedom that Jesus is going to refer to, we first have to understand the imprisonment, the weight, the payment that is being made. Why is Peter imprisoned? we got to go all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve brought sin into humanity, the relationship between humanity and God was severed. God gave Adam and Eve true freedom. They were free in God's freedom. Yes, they had a rule that they were supposed to follow, but they were free because of their relationship with God. The relationship was key. But then what does Satan do? He comes in and deceives them, and he offers them autonomy. Cut the strings. Be your own God. Did God really say that? Well, you can increase your knowledge if you eat of this fruit. They could go their own way away from God, away from any rules, free to be who you want to be. We hear that today. But what did that do? In chasing autonomy, they invited death, corruption. All the evil we see in humanity was this attempt to find freedom apart from God. doesn't work. And only by God's gracious provision of the law was humanity able to continue forward. But the law was the first step for humanity's emancipation later on. It wasn't not the final solution. So God raised up a people, the people of Israel, who lived by faith and followed the law. We have to understand what the law was like. The law was like a prison guard, and sin was the prison. The the, The law is like this flashlight that shines a light on our sins and lets us know what the consequence of our sin, that we are apart from God, that our sin leads us to death, that there is a cost, there's a weightiness associated with our sin, and it's death, eternal death apart from the living God. And it may seem harsh. Why should we suffer? Because it's, it's not because God is evil. It's because of sin. It's because of our rebellion. It's because of evil within us. And that leads to the imprisonment of the soul. So part of 
the law of God's people in the Old Testament was this temple tax. So if you flip over to Exodus, chapter 30, verse 16, it says this, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Atonement means covering. It means that there's a payment being made. There's a a debt that is owed. And so the tax is this burden. It's part of the law. It's a rule. It's a regulation. But a good one that reminds Israel of a powerful truth that they should, should not take lightly or use their people unwisely. If, if you back up in that chapter, it, it, the only people who are paying this tax are men who are 20 years old and older. So, so, so who, wh- wh- what do the men do? Well, well, the men are your fighting force. The men are your, your primary workers. The men are the leader of your family. And if you look at censuses taken throughout Scripture, whenever you see people do it on their own for their own purposes, it ends up badly. When you see it done, when God wants it done, it's done well. And it reminds them that they are the Lord's, that that it's by God's provision that he's given them life in spite of their sin, that he's provided a way through the law, through sacrifice, through this, even this tax and what it represents is to remind them of like, I paid the price for you. They have been redeemed for God's purposes, to worship God and God alone. So, so, so to give an example of this, imagine if you have a house for your whole family to live in. You woke up the next day to find all your assets are seized, your bank accounts empty, and then, and it's out of your own foolish decisions with your finances. You end up in this place where you're in debt and your house is going to be taken from you. But then someone comes in and they pay the debt. But you're not the owner of the house. The, the, the person who paid the debt owns the house, and he wants you to live in a way that honors him with how you are operating that in, within that house. And so the tax reminded people that they're men, that, that they are covered by this atonement, that the price has been paid, the sin debt was in part being covered by this tax. It's similar to the sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament. So the reason I give you all that, and hang in with me here, is that Peter lives under the weight of the law, shining in on his life, showing the imprisonment that sin brought him to. It's like a holding cell. He has coverage from the law, but it's not the permanent solution. It's just keeping God's people until the permanent solution came along so that they can live as free men and women in relationship with Jesus. But this is where we have to pause. Because often in our culture, we can treat sin lightly. Like, like it's no big deal. Like it, it doesn't matter that much. It's all right. Like Jesus died for our sins. We're forgiven. But the reason that we come and see forgiveness is so powerful is when we understand the weight of sin and what sin causes in our life, what sin has done to our world. We, we can't gloss over sin. Have you seen that yet in your life? Have you seen the weight and what sin causes and how it disrupts 
not only your relationship with God, but as we look at even things that are happening right now, the issues in Israel and Gaza, and we look at Ukraine and Russia, and we look at uh, all sorts of places where we see violence and brokenness, it's the result of sin. Look, look, look at our city. Look, look at, at Alaska, too. It's, it's everywhere around, and, and sometimes I think it's easier to ignore. It's easier to block that out so we can just come along day to day. But if we do that, we're going to miss the power of God and the solution that he offers to the weight of sin. And, th and this is why cheap Christianity isn't Christian at all. And, and what I mean by that is sometimes people walk into a church, and it's easy to put on on the good face, act as if nothing's wrong, like we've got it all together, and, and, and that's, just, that's just shallow. That doesn't work. If you're just pretending that everything is all good, you're, you're ignoring the weight of sin and what it does to our life. And that's why, like, just putting on a plastic face, just pretending like you're good doesn't work, and that's why people will get frustrated with hypocrisy for good reason. It doesn't work. It treats sin as insignificant, and it doesn't recognize the true need for Jesus. It doesn't recognize the weight of sin and the crushing punishment that the law delivers justly towards sin. It's like living on your credit card debt. You may look rich. It may seem like everything is going good until the collector comes by and requires you to pay that debt. You lose everything. And, and I tried this once in my life. I tried being that good Christian. I tried living by my own good works. And eventually you run out and you realize, I'm not that good. And when, going back to that example of George Foreman, he came to that place where he realized that the way he was living his life wasn't working at all. You see, he started to lose at boxing. He lost to another boxing superstar, Muhammad Ali, and it broke him. It sunk him. In fact, his anger really came out. It showed the ugliness of his heart because he hated the man because he lost to them. He hated his taunts. It brought back his failures. And even unbeknownst to him, all the money he had gotten, all the winnings were being handled by a guy he thought was his friend but was a high-risk investor and he was about to lose everything. As broken humans, we need something that actually works. Fake Christianity doesn't work. The way of the world doesn't work. So what do we do? Uh, Galatians 3.24 in the NLT version helps us understand it this way. Paul says, let me, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The law wasn't meant to fix our problems. It was meant to show how hopeless we are to fix the problem on our own. So we can run to the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to find the permanent solution. So this is why Peter saying that Jesus is going to pay the temple taxes, making a wrong assumption about Jesus. Jesus doesn't need atonement. He, he doesn't need to make a covering for himself. He's perfect. He is one with the Father. He is God. But this is the key. Jesus didn't come to this earth, fully human, fully God, to just flaunt his freedom and to crush us. He came to use his freedom to cover the death payment that we owed for our sin. So let's look at the rest of the story. 
Back in Matthew 17. So starting um, uh, once again in verse 25, it says, He said, Peter, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. The sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Where Peter was captive to sin, Jesus was completely free. So Jesus confronts Peter in this kind of a parable that fits inside of a verse. When he says, from whom do Kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? This is a simple question, and it's meant to make a point. Anyone at that time knew the answer, because they didn't live in a democracy like we do. A king takes tax from others, and anyone who's related to the king that's royalty, they have certain privileges and freedoms. Why? Because of their relationship with the king because they are related to the king. And so the conclusion Jesus takes Peter to is, then the sons are free. So the first understanding of this is Jesus, son of, son of God, one with the Father, is truly free. He is helping Peter understand that he doesn't have to pay that temple tax. Jesus is not only related, but he is the king himself. He doesn't have to pay it at all. He would be completely in his right to refuse to pay the tax. He had a right to call out the temple collectors and say, how dare you expect me to do this? That would be like someone flaunting their freedom and holding it over other people. And it should cause a question to be asked by Peter and by us. Well, how do we become related to the king? How do I not have to live under the crushing punishment that the law delivers to sin? Jesus is teaching Peter right now so that when his relationship status changes because of the work that Jesus was going to do, that he would have a relationship status change with the king. And he would understand then what that means for his identity and how he's supposed to use that. But the price of atonement had to be paid first. And this brings us to the practical application of this short little story. First of all, that we claim the freedom of Jesus. This is why the miracle is so significant. It seems like a weird miracle, doesn't it? <laughs> like, Peter, go out, cast your line into, into the ocean, pull up this fish, and it's going to have enough money to cover the tax for you and for me. And, and I love it. It's so odd that it should draw our attention to, like, why is Jesus doing this? Jesus is doing it uh, to show the greater payment that he's about to make. In fact, if you just back up a couple of verses, what do we see in verse 22 through 23? It's the second time that Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, and that he's going to rise again. He's going to pay the ultimate price. And so with Christ's resurrection, it opens up the door for a new relationship to be forged. 
for those whose faith is found in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus, even faith the size of a mustard seed, looks like a relationship with God where you bring the broken pieces of your life to him and let him reforge you. But when you put your faith in Jesus, that means you are committed to live under his good authority and by the power of his salvation at work in your life. You come into the relationship where he's paid the sin debt on your behalf and you accept his freedom for your soul. It's Christ who has the key to unlock the prison. It's Christ who has the payment to pay the debt. It's Christ who has the life that we're all in need of. So if you turn back over to Galatians 3, 25, it says this. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, are you living free? Are you related to the king? And I have to ask this because I want to make sure if anyone walks into the space who doesn't know Jesus is asking that question, are you living free or are you playing with God? Are, are you just kind of keeping it a safe distance, waiting, wondering, okay, when, when am I going to make that step to, to make him as Lord and Savior of my life? Stop playing and put your faith in him. Begin the journey of life into eternity with your creator, God. That is where you're going to find freedom. There's no fence with God. You're either following him or you're opposed to him. Committing your life doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean you have Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, that he is the authority of your life, and that he is your freedom. And for those of you who are on that journey with Jesus... Don't let Satan tempt you to walk back into an unlocked cage. You have been made free. And it's so easy that when we sin, instead of running to repentance and forgiveness in Christ, we can often, it's almost like we walk right back into that cage. It's wide open, but because of shame, because of other things, it's so easy to, to live with our head down. Or sometimes we live as believers thinking we just got to hide away from the world, that we got to withdraw when Jesus has made his church to be on the offensive to bring the gospel into this broken world. And that's why a little later in Galatians 5.1 it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what does that look like? When, when we're in Christ, even think about the, some of the freedoms that people in the world are after. Think about financial freedom. The, the world's answer is like try and get as much money as you can. Once you get enough money, you're going to be financially free. But with Christ, the reason you can have financial freedom is because you can be content, whether you have a little or a lot, because your ultimate treasure is your relationship with Jesus. What about from freedom from people's expectations. You don't have to let other people's opinions guide your life because the opinion of your heavenly father is worth so much more. You can have schedule freedom. 
Guess what? Your schedule is not your own. It's Jesus's. And often where we go wrong is because we think we've got to manage everything and make everything work in our life when we've got to come back to the freedom that Jesus offers, that your schedule is his, not yours. You can find freedom in your work because you can use your work for something better. You work for Jesus ultimately, not your boss at work. Political freedom. Yeah, we know that there's a lot of struggles in our country, and there's a lot of struggles in every country when it comes to politics. But for the believer, Jesus is our king. He's our ultimate authority, not any human government. George Foreman found freedom when he was losing in a boxing match. He took a break in the dressing room and collapsed. As he tells it, he died for a few moments. His heart stopped beating. When he came back, he was yelling, I am coming alive in Jesus. His mom had tried to speak Jesus into his life, but he had nothing. He didn't want anything to do it. But when he came alive in Jesus, anger was no longer his slave master. He claimed freedom in Christ. But as a follower of Jesus, he would have his battles. He would be tempted to let anger be his master again. And he would have to continue to trust Jesus when that anger wanted to usurped Jesus' authority. So as we walk in this life as followers of Jesus, we have to daily claim that freedom in Christ. Remember who he is. Remember what the gospel is doing in us. But it's more than just identity. We are also called to use our freedom for Jesus' purposes. So I love this in verse 26, going back to Matthew 17. Jesus, by his right, he, he could have decided not to pay the temple tax. But then he says in verse 27, however, not to give offense to them. Not to give offense to them. It's a fascinating line. I mean, Jesus, he's, he's willing to put the punches where they need to be. We see that especially with the Pharisees, right? He's willing to offend them. He's offensive to those who would stand in the way of broken sinners from becoming free. But he's showing Peter something about how someone is to live free. How to use that freedom. That freedom isn't meant for us to hoard. It's not like this personal thing that we just hold on to. Freedom isn't meant for us. In fact, the freedom given to us is from Jesus. Just like love isn't something that can be isolated. It involves other people. So going back to Galatians, it helps us again to understand how to use freedom. In Galatians 5, 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When you understand freedom this way, then you understand the way of the cross and why Jesus calls us to follow him the way he is and to, to wear his identity to live like he did. And it, it can be easy to grow up and think that freedom is just ours, it's our own personal thing, but when we look at what Jesus calls us to and how living as free sons and free daughters, that our freedom 
is to be used for Jesus' purposes. Just like Jesus used his freedom to go to the cross, we are also called to use our freedom to see the gospel move forward. Look, Look at the apostles. This is beautiful. When you look at how they lived their lives in imitation of Jesus, they were often in prison. They were often being tortured. They were often uh, suffering many things because their freedom wasn't found in this world. Their freedom was found in Christ, and their freedom had a purpose. It wasn't to lord it over others. It was to use it to see other people become free. You see, in a relationship where God has given us his love and we respond and put our faith in him, we're never going to lose our status. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. And so we don't have to fear. Our status is secure, and that opens us, opens up that door because we're secure in that to use our freedom to serve, to love, protect, and help others, to live and speak the gospel of Jesus. We have the freedom to forgive the person who has hurt us the most. We have freedom to take a blow for or from someone else who doesn't deserve it. We have the freedom to stand up for those who are being oppressed. We have the freedom to speak the truth in a way that shows the love Christ had for us when we were his enemies. We have freedom to fight against whatever sins come up in our life against us. And we have freedom to share about Jesus and his plan for freedom so that one more person can come to know him. Finishing off the story with George Foreman. He later on went on to become a pastor. And what was beautiful was to see him use his wealth and even his fighting skills. He actually later be, went back into boxing. Uh, he used all these things, his passion to see a church started, to see a youth center started in Texas so that boys could be mentored. That's using his freedom to move the gospel forward. He went from collecting a house for himself, from collecting all these cars for himself, from using women the way he wanted to, to then switching it around, switching the narrative and using his freedom to pour love onto boys who are having a hard time, to be able to move the gospel forward. He's still preaching today. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And so this year, when, when this movie came out about his life, he had this to say in an interview. I look back at that movie, and it tells the story of someone coming from nowhere and receiving everything possible in this life. And the greatest thing that this life can offer is the chance for everlasting life, finding God, and that's what I found. So how is God asking you to use your freedom to reach one more person with the gospel? So, so my encouragement as you walk into this week, as you face all sorts of obstacles, all sorts of barriers, all sorts of temptations, all sorts of sins, is first hold on to that truth that, wait, Jesus declared it here, is that those who are related to the king, they're free. There's no one who can take that away from your status in relationship with Jesus. But he's called you to use that freedom for your soul for a purpose. It's not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be used. So how is God calling you to use that freedom? We're going to close now. And every week we, we close with 
communion. We sing songs, and during those songs, you can come up and take from the communion tables. There's two up here. There's one in the back. And what I love about communion is it's this reminder weekly of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We remember that we're free because the, the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. We're free because we break the bread. And we remember his body was broken on our behalf, that he paid the ultimate price. The ultimate uh, payment was death, and he did it on our behalf. So I encourage you, as you take a moment of ref in reflection, before you come and take communion, just think and consider, remember that you are free in Christ. And ask Jesus how you can use that freedom to advance the gospel even this week. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Jesus, um, God, as we go into song, help us to praise you that we are free. That the, the one that the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus, you gave us the ultimate freedom, freedom for our soul. And I just pray as we walk into this week, Jesus, it's so easy to let the whispers of Satan, his lies, to get into our hearts, and we can forget the very fact that we are free. And, and we can stop walking as free men and women in you. So I pray that we hold on to that identity, but just like you, use your freedom, God, and came and died on behalf of us, God, help us to use our freedom in this world that is broken and messed up by evil. We have a message that gives people a freedom from their souls. So God, help us to keep walking in the legacy that you provided through the church, through the legacy of the apostles, through the, the legacy of so many faithful men and women who have chosen not to lord their freedom over others, but to walk sacrificially like you did. God, that's the, the, the way the church changes the world. So God, I just pray for divine moments this week, moments where uh, we can see opportunities to use the, the gifts you've given us, the, 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 the things you've given us, whether that's our skills or our wealth, whatever, Jesus, that we're free to use, God, but help us to use it for your glory. Help us to use it to spread your gospel message. Open our eyes up. Help us to see those opportunities, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.